From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, August the 8th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Heilongjiang province has issued alerts for flash flooding and geological disasters as heavy downpours continue in parts of northeast China. Chinese and Russian foreign ministers have spoken over the phone about bilateral ties, the BRICS group, Ukraine, and more. And aid convoys reached East Darfur for the first time since the recent outbreak of conflict in Sudan. In business, China's export numbers continue to grow through the first seven months of this year. In sports, a wrap-up of the World University Games in Chengdu. In culture and entertainment, recently found artifacts on display at the Sanxingui Museum in Sichuan province. Now the day's top stories. Heilongjiang province has issued two yellow alerts, one for possible flash floods, another for geological disasters. From Monday to Thursday, parts of the province, including urban areas of Mudengjiang, are likely to encounter flash floods and geological disasters due to heavy downpours. Zhang Saran reports from Mucheng. Wuchang city has had heavy rains over the past five days and took a major hit from the massive flooding. And in Wuchang city, a total of 18 towns were affected by the flooding. Now the local government and community members are working together to ensure emergency supplies and medical care. So far, over 50,000 residents have been safely evacuated and among them, around 10,000 residents had to find their temporary homes at one of the resettlement sites. Behind me, the Yachen Middle School 
Temple is one of the major resettlement sites here in Wuchang City. And currently around 1,300 people are here taking the shelters. And they just told me that good arrangements have been made and they're not worried. And actually many cities in Northeast China have experienced the heaviest rains since the 1950s. And many experts believe that this extreme weather may also be resulted from the climate change. The rice paddies here in Wuchang City, which is really well known um, across the country and uh, as well as around the globe. However, we did had a chance to visit the damaged rice paddies. And for now, what is certain is that the floods will have some impacts for the harvest in autumn. However, the scale of it is still unclear for now. Since the water have not yet receded, the total area of the damaged rice paddies is still being assessed by the local government. That was Zhang Saran reporting. The Northeast region serves as a major base for China's agricultural production, Li Jianhua explains. This region is one of China's granaries. We're looking at the uh, northeasternmost provinces, Heilongjiang, Jilin and Liaoning together. They are responsible for the, pro- for the production of 20% of China's grain output. And the region's fertile black soil, very much like that in central Ukraine, makes this region the place where high-quality rice, corn and soybeans are produced. Chief among them this time, Heilongjiang province, the northeasternmost province in that part of China, has been severely affected. The capital, Harbin, we see that over 160,000 people evacuated and over 90,000 hectares of crops were inundated. And two of the uh, county-level cities, including Shangju and Wuchang, where the place, it is the place where the high-quality rice is produced. And we see that those regions see the worst rainstorming over 60 years. We should know that the heavy downpours came right before the harvest season, which is usually in September in that part of the country. And crops are harvested only once a year compared with two times or three times in southern China. We look at the production of grain in the past year in 2022, China produced 680 million tons of grain. In the meantime, the country imported 147 million tons of grain. And Chinese authorities have the tradition of stocking grain in case of famine starting in the 1950s. And the government officials say that the country uh, has enough to eat over a year. That was Li Jianhua reporting. The state flood control and drought relief headquarters has extended the second level emergency response to floods in Tianjin and Hebei. Uh, Tianjin's issued the highest level of alert for possible floods in the Daqinghe River. Uh, that river, a major tributary of the Haihe River, saw its worst flooding since the 1960s in recent days. As floodwaters recede in Hebei province, disaster relief efforts are transforming from emergency rescue and evacuation to recovery. In Zhuazhou, local authorities say previously relocated residents have begun to return home. In Langfeng, dredging, disinfection and drainage work is underway to repair the damage in affected communities. As floodwaters recede in urban and rural areas of Zhuazhou and Hebei province, the assessment of disaster damage of each household and the preparations for disaster compensation are underway. Uh, Zhou Yixin visited a flood-devastated village in Zhuazhou to see how the disaster assessment's going. In the urban area of Zhuzhou, residents' lives are gradually getting back to normal. But in rural areas, the situation is more severe. In Xizhi village, some people have lost their homes. 
Shitsu village is situated near the Baigo River and has been one of the areas severely affected by the flood. Numerous houses were damaged, with many of them collapsing. 60-year-old Li Hongshan's house is one of the 20 collapsed houses in the village. This is my house. The bridge dam is 100 meters away. The water hit the house and the house collapsed. His neighbor's house has not collapsed, but it is no longer fit for living due to the severe damage. I'm planning to rebuild a house here because this is my home and my roots. The grain that Li Hongshan stored at the warehouse was ruined. The cornfields are completely inundated. As water in the fields will not recede for some time, it might also prevent farmers from planting their next crop of wheat in time. The local government has dispatched personnel to go to each household to assess the damage. We will carry out house safety appraisal for each household. After determining the damage level, we will let you know whether you should renovate or build a new house. Any house with cracks or collapses will definitely not be fit to move into. The villagers have been told that relevant compensation standards and laws will apply to Xizi. The local government will gather the information about each household and enter information into the country's emergency management system. That was Zhuo Yixin reporting. Uh, coming up, the Chinese and Russian foreign ministers have held talks over the phone. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at eight minutes past the hour. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi says China and Russia are trustworthy and reliable friends and partners, noting that the two countries have continued to support a multipolar world. In a phone conversation with his Russian counterpart, Wang underscored the role of the BRICS group and said China is willing to work with Russia and other members of the bloc to support South Africa in hosting the BRICS summit and promoting uh, the healthy and vigorous development of the cooperation framework. He added that at present, the priority for China and Russia is to promote the high-level development of their comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination in the new era. Uh, Sergei Lavrov said Russia agrees with China's position paper on the political settlement of the Ukraine crisis and appreciates and welcomes China's constructive role in this regard. For more on BRICS in Ukraine, Pan Deng spoke to Vice President Rong Ying of the China Institute of International Studies. So what do you think is the biggest charm of BRICS as a mechanism? Indeed, I think uh, the uh, forthcoming uh, BRICS summit, we're going to see that a lot of aspirants, a lot of uh, developing countries are in the waiting list to join the BRICS. And the reason for that enthusiasm, the reason for that appealing, primarily comes from the two uh, factors. Number one, it is because BRICS has now uh, become a fully established group, I mean, mechanism for major emerging economies and developing countries because it is a different sort of a regional or, or groupings for developing countries that, that stand differently from other organizations or groupings. It pursues a kind of a brick spirit featuring openness, inclusiveness, cooperation and win-win. And it also, I think, has made many progress in areas, particularly in areas of economic and financial cooperations. 
And if you look at the inference, as far as the inference is concerned, I think it's very much influential in terms of not only in terms of size and the population, but also in terms of the weight of the global economic growth. So with the newcomers, new major uh, developing countries coming, I think BRICS is going to be even more important and more influential. Talking about uh, the Ukraine a crisis, we can see that despite some Western action of putting fuel to the fire, many uh, global players are actually making efforts uh, trying to reach a political settlement in some kind. For example, China is participating in the Saudi-led Ukraine peace talks in Jeddah. Having said that, do you see a peaceful settlement in sight? Well, definitely, I think any uh, conflict uh, would have to end politically. I think uh, the uh, more than 500 days have passed since the eruption of the conflict. We have seen, particularly in recent months, recent days, intensified effort and I think intensified sort of uh, progress, if I can say, in terms of promoting a political settlement of this crisis. The uh, JIDA International Conference on Ukraine uh, the later of the one. So, yeah, over the past few months, we have seen initiative, peace initiative, plans put forward by many uh, developing countries. That was Rong Ying with the China Institute of International Studies, talking about the role of BRICS in the situation concerning Ukraine. The Chinese ambassador to the Philippines has urged the Southeast Asian country to stop unilateral actions and prevent the situation in the South China Sea from getting out of control. Huang Xilian made the remarks when meeting with Philippine Undersecretary of Foreign Affairs Teresa P. Lazaro. On August 5th, the Philippines sent two vessels that intruded into the adjacent waters of Renaijiao and tried to deliver construction materials for overhauling and reinforcing a grounded military vessel. The ambassador said under such context, China has had to make the necessary response, but the Chinese Coast Guard's uh, in, uh, rather it's conducted itself uh, in accordance with the law. He also said China's waiting for feedback from the Philippines in hopes to start talks as soon as possible. Meantime, the Chinese foreign ministry has reiterated the country's stance and urged the Philippines to remove its grounded warship from Renaijiao. Uh, the ministry said Renaijiao has always been part of China's Nansha Islands, and the Philippines' actions violate China's sovereignty in the Declaration on the Conduct of Parties in the South China Sea. The Pakistani Prime Minister says the China, or that Chinese companies working under the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor have contributed greatly to the South Asian country's industry in various walks of life. Shabazz Sharif made the remarks while addressing an awards ceremony to honor the contribution of Chinese companies operating in Pakistan under CPAC. Now we are entering into the second phase of CPAC, which is green corridor, which is innovation, which is IT corridor, which is special economic zone. Well, he says the contributions of the Chinese companies have not only led to the creation of job opportunities and industrial production, but also further strengthened the bilateral economic ties. Charge d'affaires Peng Chun Shui of the Chinese embassy says CPEC has become a distinctive symbol of bilateral cooperation and a pilot project of the Belt and Road Initiative. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the launch of CPEC. The project's a corridor linking Gwadar Port with Kashgar in western China. It highlights energy, transport, and industrial cooperation.
A Hungarian-American biochemist says China produces many top-quality papers in scientific research and will have a bright future in the field. Uh, Caitlin Carrico made the remarks during a trip to receive her honorary Doctor of Science degree awarded by the Chinese University of Hong Kong. So I look at now that what facility they are coming in, you know, Shanghai and Beijing. I look at the cities and turn out that you know, 20 million people live there and I look at there, you know, like... Uh, like 10 Philadelphia, and then I don't even know, because kind of invest more ignorant, but you know, the quality of, uh, of science is coming out, is, is just unbelievable. Very high quality papers and very great uh, science. So, yeah, I am sure that uh, the future is uh, for the whole China is, including Hong Kong, is great. Kariko is best known for her contributions to messenger RNA technology that's used in COVID-19 vaccines. Victims of Japan's Fukushima nuclear disaster continue to voice their opposition to the government's contaminated water discharge plan. 63-year-old Harue Sanpei's home was uh, only 50 kilometers away from the nuclear plant when the tragedy struck. She blames the central government for failing to provide adequate protection for locals. We were evacuated on March 15, 2011, and the central government did not issue any instructions for us to take refuge. They even stressed on TV that the nuclear accident had no impact on our bodies. We took refuge because the local government told us to. You should know Minamata disease in Japan, which is because people ate contaminated seafood. We pledge not to discharge nuclear contaminated water into the sea. It is very risky. But the country will not listen to us vulnerable people. They will only do what the government wants to do. Well, meanwhile, folklorist Shuichi Kawashima has been documenting the life of fishermen in Fukushima for five years. And he says the discharge of nuclear contaminated water would destroy the community's decade-long efforts to restore the local fishery industry. No fisherman would agree to the discharge plan, and I agree with them. People have very negative expectations for inheriting fishery. If life is unstable like this, I'm afraid local fishery customs will end. We have seen fish being contaminated in the past, and that's why I oppose the discharge. Not reflecting on history and not repeating the same mistakes. I don't understand this. Media reports say Japan's likely to discharge nuclear-contaminated water into the sea starting sometime late August or early September. India's parliament is set to debate a no-confidence motion against Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government. The country's opposition parties have brought the case over Modi's handling of ethnic and gender-based violence in Manipur state. Congress party leader Rahul Gandhi will start the debate on behalf of the opposition. The assembly will vote on the motion on Thursday after the debate. The move is not expected to succeed due to Modi's party uh, numbers, but opposition leaders say it will uh, force Modi to speak on ongoing clashes that have displaced thousands. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, an aid convoy has reached East Darfur in Sudan. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 
at 17 minutes past the hour. The UN Humanitarian Agency says a humanitarian aid convoy has reached East Darfur for the first time since the conflict in Sudan began in April. The convoy delivered 430 tons of seeds provided by the Food and Agricultural Organization. The Ministry of Agriculture will distribute the seeds to farmers across the country. Farhan Hawk is the deputy spokesperson for the UN Secretary General. He says smooth agricultural production must be ensured in Sudan to prevent famine. Further humanitarian access is urgently required so that all agricultural areas in Darfur can benefit from the provision of seeds. All parties must also provide farmers access to agricultural lands and ensure their protection as they plant and harvest their crops. A failed agricultural season would have further devastating consequences on all communities in Darfur. UN officials say humanitarian aid has reached the impoverished West Darfur region since fighting began in Sudan, but only through cross-border deliveries from Chad. The junta in Niger has appointed former economy minister Ali Mohamed Lamin as what they call the new prime minister. This comes as West African countries and global powers seek, the, uh, seek for mediation ahead of a summit on Thursday, which could result in a military intervention to restore democracy. Deji Bedamosi reports from neighboring Nigeria. It's not looking like we're going to have any military intervention anytime soon. Of course, ECOWAS did uh, threaten to use military force to reverse the situation in Niger. The, the coup leaders now did not hand back power to uh, President Bazoum. But it's not looking like that is going to happen. Uh, that deadline has passed and uh, nothing has happened yet. So ECOWAS has called a meeting for Thursday. So the leaders of ECOWAS will be meeting on Thursday to decide on the next steps. Uh, but from what we are seeing, I mean, public opinion in Nigeria and, and some other countries I would say it's against uh, a military intervention. Everyone is pushing for mediation and dialogue, and I think that's what we're going to see. But of course, sanctions are in place, so there's a possibility that after the meeting of Thursday, we could see more sanctions are placed on Niger. But as it stands, the idea of a military uh, intervention at this time doesn't look likely. Maybe after every effort, every other effort now uh, would have failed. That's when um, ECOWAS might probably begin to actively consider a uh, military action in Niger. Well, it's obvious uh, that uh, Burkina Faso and Mali are supporting the, the junto in Niger because uh, in their own countries, their military did the same thing that uh, the military junto in um, Niger has done. In fact, uh, many believe that uh, the military junto in Niger actually drew inspiration from uh, what happened in Mali and uh, Burkina Faso. So uh, it's not a surprise that they are supporting uh, the, the Nigerian military leader now. But going forward, I think um, what we expect to see will be mediation. I mean, there will be talks. Unfortunately, those mediation efforts have failed so far. ECOWAS has sent about three delegations uh, to Niger, and those delegations were not able to meet with the new military leader there. I think um, ECOWAS will try again, and uh, that effort will be restarted, and, and somehow uh, mediation talks would, would get underway. But uh, as it stands, uh, we just have to wait until after the meeting on Thursday uh, to find out what next. That was Deji Badamosi reporting. The U.S. State Department is pausing over 100 million U.S. dollars in assistance to Niger amid the military coup. State Department spokesperson Matt Miller says the assistance affects security and development aid to the government, but not humanitarian aid to the people in Niger. 
it's a significant amount. Um, I, I don't have a number because it's a pause, and it's a pause that we would hope would be reversed um, if the uh, junta leaders would step aside and restore constitutional order tomorrow. That pause would be um, uh, the, the the security the pause would go away, and security assistance would be reinstated. Um, but as we've made clear, hundreds of millions of dollars are at stake. Miller adds that uh, U.S. officials have been in phone contact with ousted President Mohamed Bazoum and leaders of the members of the uh, Economic Community of West African States to find a diplomatic solution. Leaders of ECOWAS uh, members say they'll meet uh, this week to discuss next steps after the military junta of Niger defied the deadline to reinstate Bazoum. The meeting is scheduled for Thursday in Abuja. Defense chiefs of the U.S. and Iraq have discussed a variety of issues at the first joint security cooperation dialogue between the two countries. Uh, the issues included security in Iraq, the continuing threat of the Islamic State, and the evolving role of U.S. troops in the region. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says the two countries have achieved progress in support of Iraq and its sovereignty and regional stability. He says over 50,000 square kilometers have been liberated. Uh, more than 4.5 million Iraqis have been freed from the rule of the Islamic State. Iraqi Defense Minister Thabit el-Abbasi thanked Austin for hosting the meeting and expressed confidence that the talks will lead to more progress in the fight against the Islamic State. The last former Minneapolis police officer convicted in state court for his role in the killing of an African-American man has been sentenced to four years and nine months. To Tao is one of the four officers involved in the arrest that ended in the death of George Floyd in May of 2020, along with Derek Chauvin, Alexander uh, King, and uh, Thomas Lane. Prosecutors say Tao stood by and stopped others from moving in to help Floyd. Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill told Tao that his culpability is less than Chauvin, who knelt on Floyd's neck for over nine minutes, uh, while the African-American pleaded for his life well above King and Lane. So as to count two, having been found guilty by the court of aiding and abetting manslaughter in the second degree, after a trial pursuant to Minnesota Rule of Criminal Procedure 26.01, Subdivision 3, judgment of the court is that you are convicted of that offense. Count one is dismissed pursuant to the negotiation. You are sentenced to 57 months in prison with credit for 340 days already served. Okay, I'll said in his ruling that Tao's actions allowed his colleagues to continue restraining Floyd and preventing bystanders from uh, providing medical aid. He described such actions as unreasonable as Tao was under a duty to intervene to stop the other officers from using excessive force. And Tao's denied his role in the death of Floyd, claiming that his conscience is clear. His attorney, Robert Paul, says they will appeal. Local authorities say raging waters caused by a glacial dam outburst in the Alaskan capital on the weekend are receding. Levels along the Mendenhall River in Juneau have begun falling, but the river remains, uh, river banks remain unstable. The National Weather Service in the city says a glacial lake outburst from the Suicide Basin adjacent to the Mendenhall Glacier caused the flooding. The maximum water level in Mendenhall Lake on the weekend exceeded the previous record that was set in 2016. Uh, the waters have destroyed at least two buildings, and there have been uh, no reports of deaths or injuries. The city says it's working to assess damage. Hydrologist Aaron Jacobs says he doesn't think the event can be uh, really uh, tied to a warming environment or climate change. So these outburst floods or these glacial dam lakes, um, that is from a receding and shrinking uh, glacier systems that have these side basins can not fill up with ice anymore, but they can be filled up with water. But these individual events from year to year is really a mechanism of how 
uh, how cold it was that winter, um, how much snow fell, how much precipitation, but also just the glacial dynamics. The Suicide Basin's been releasing glacial water. This caused flooding uh, along Mendenhall Lake and River since 2011. Leaders of several South American countries are gathering in Brazil to discuss solutions to save the biggest rainforest in the world. The leaders are attending a two-day meeting of the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization in Belém, uh, in the mouth of the Amazon River. It's the first summit in 14 years uh, since eight South American countries that contain the Amazon rainforest set up the group in 1995. Brazilian Environment Minister Marina Silva hopes an agreement can be reached during the meeting. This progressive agreement is established on some points, tackling inequality, not allowing the Amazon to reach the point of no return, and working together, not only through a political viewpoint, but also the financial instruments, the processes, vision and structure that need to move in the direction of a new development model for our region. Indigenous Peoples Minister Sonia Guajajara says indigenous people who call the Amazon home are the people who are most concerned about the rainforest. I've said before that the Amazon biome is universally desired, either by those who want to protect and care for it or by those who want to explore it. So all of that involves this mobilization from the people and an ongoing concern to think the Amazon is a place that has people. The Amazon rainforest, dubbed as the Earth's lungs, has been experiencing threats from climate change, illegal mining, and deforestation. Over 2,000 firefighters are battling a series of fires in Portugal as the country experiences days of extreme heat. The National Weather Service has issued red alerts for several regions where temperatures are expected to reach between 40 and 43 degrees Celsius. Authorities have deployed over 700 fire vehicles and at least 14 aircraft to battle the fires. One of the fires of concern is the one in Odomira. Media reports say several households have evacuated. Scientists in the UK uh, government research facility have started preparing vaccines against a new virus that's uh, possible to develop into a pandemic. Researchers at the UK Health Security Agency are working to develop vaccines for treating disease X, an as-of-yet unknown pathogen that may come from a number of animal viruses able to infect humans. Over 200 scientists at the Porton Down Lab complex in Wiltshire have made it their mission to develop the vaccine within 100 days. Uh, scientists at Porton Down have developed the vaccine, which is in uh, an early stage of clinical trials. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight. Uh, slight rain tomorrow with a high of 32. Chongqing's at 27 this evening, then clouds in 35. Last is at 12 overnight. Tomorrow, a slight rain in 24 degrees. Hong Kong's 29 this evening. It'll be sunny in 34 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 tonight, moderate rainfall in 29 on Wednesday. Islamabad will see some rain in 26 this evening, more rain in 36 tomorrow. Bangkok's 26 overnight, a slight rain in 34 on Wednesday. In Africa, Nairobi has a slight rain in 25 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, it's overcast in 19 tomorrow. Auckland's 8 overnight, then a slight rain in 13. Port Vila, moderate rainfall and 23 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Heilongjiang province has issued alerts for flash flooding and geological disasters as heavy downpours continue in parts of northeast China. The Chinese and Russian foreign ministers have spoken over the phone about bilateral ties, the BRICS group, Ukraine and more. And an aid convoy has reached East Darfur for the first time since the recent outbreak of conflict in Sudan. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour.
Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come, in business, China's export numbers continue to grow through the first seven months of the year. In sports, a wrap-up of the World University Games in Chengdu. In culture and entertainment, recently found artifacts on display at the Sanxingdui Museum in Sichuan Province. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twix account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, check the he- day's headline news, and uh, Heilongjiang Province has issued two yellow alerts, uh, one for possible flash floods, another for geological disasters. From Monday to Thursday, parts of the province, including urban areas of Mudanjiang, uh, are likely to encounter flash floods and geological disasters because of heavy downpours. The state flood control and drought relief headquarters has extended the second-level emergency response to floods in Tianjin and Hebei province. Uh, Tianjin's issued the highest level of alert for possible floods in the Dachingha River. That river, a major tributary of the Haihe River, saw its worst flooding since the 1960s in recent days. As floodwaters recede in Hebei province, disaster relief efforts are uh, transitioning from emergency uh, rescue and evacuation to recovery. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi says China and Russia are trustworthy and reliable friends and partners, noting that the two countries have continued to support a multipolar world. In a phone conversation with his Russian counterpart, Wang underscored the role of the BRICS group and said China is willing to work with Russia and other members of the bloc to support South Africa in hosting the BRICS summit and promote the healthy and vigorous development of the cooperation framework. He added that at present, the priority for China and Russia is to promote the high-level development of their comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination for a new era. Sergey Lavrov said Russia agrees with China's position paper on the political settlement of the Ukraine crisis and appreciates and welcomes China's constructive role in this regard. The Pakistani Prime Minister says the China, or says Chinese companies working under the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor have contributed greatly to the South Asian country's industry in various walks of life. Shabazz Sharif made the remarks while addressing an awards ceremony to honor the contributions of Chinese companies operating in Pakistan under CPAC. Now we are entering into the second phase of CPAC, which is green corridor, which is innovation which is IT corridor, which is special economic zone. He says the contributions of the Chinese companies have not only led to the creation of job opportunities and industrial production, but also further strengthened the bilateral economic ties. Japan's bracing for heavy rains as Typhoon Kanun makes landfall. Severe weathers force commemoration events for the Nagasaki atomic bombing to relocate indoors. Local media say Kanun killed at least two people and injured over 100 in the south, uh, southern Okinawa region last week, causing power outages. Uh, Japan's meteorological agency says the typhoon's expected to head northwards to the west of Kyushu on Tuesday and Wednesday before veering towards South Korea. It also warns of secondary disasters such as flooding and landslides. 
The UN Humanitarian Agency says a humanitarian aid convoy has reached the the, uh, East Darfur region for the first time since the conflict in Sudan began in April. The convoy delivered 430 tons of seeds provided by the Food and Agricultural Organization. The Ministry of Agriculture will distribute the seeds to farmers across Sudan. Farhan Hawk is the deputy spokesperson for the UN Secretary General, and he says smooth agricultural production must be ensured in Sudan to prevent famine. Further humanitarian access is urgently required so that all agricultural areas in Darfur can benefit from the provision of seeds. All parties must also provide farmers access to agricultural lands and ensure their protection as they plant and harvest their crops. A failed agricultural season would have further devastating consequences on all communities in Darfur. UN officials say humanitarian aid has reached the impoverished West Darfur region since fighting began in Sudan, but only through cross-border deliveries from Chad. The last former Minneapolis police officer convicted in state court for his role in the killing of an African-American man has been sentenced to four years and nine months. Totau is one of the four officers involved in an arrest that ended in the death of George Floyd in May of 2020, along with Derek Chauvin, Alexander King, and Thomas Lane. Prosecutors say Tao stood by and stopped others from moving in to help Floyd. Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill told Tao that his culpability is less than Chauvin, who knelt on Floyd's neck for nine minutes while the African-American pleaded for his life, but well above Kang and Lane. So as to count two, having been found guilty by the court of aiding and abetting manslaughter in the second degree, after a trial pursuant to Minnesota Rule of Criminal Procedure 26.01, Subdivision 3, judgment of the court is that you are convicted of that offense. Count one is dismissed pursuant to the negotiation. You are sentenced to 57 months in prison with credit for 340 days already served. Cahill said in his ruling that Tao's actions allowed his colleagues to continue restraining Floyd and preventing uh, prevented bystanders from providing medical aid. Over 2,000 firefighters are battling a series of fires in Portugal as the country experiences days of extreme heat. The National Weather Service has issued red alerts for several regions where temperatures are expected to reach between 40 and 43 degrees Celsius. Authorities have deployed over 700 fire vehicles and at least 14 aircraft to battle the fires. One of the fires of concern is the one in Odomira. Media reports say several households have evacuated. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's export numbers continue to grow through the first seven months of this year. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. 38 minutes past the hour now, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. The Chinese mainland stock markets did struggle a bit today, opening lower, trying for an afternoon recovery, but ultimately closing down by about a quarter of 1%. The latest trade data and uh, the UN trading lower against the dollar were the cause of some caution among investors, but not a great deal more than we saw on the markets yesterday. It still seems like uh, the markets are waiting for the GDP numbers 
which are due out tomorrow. And uh, there were more investors sticking to the sidelines today as well. We saw a, a note from UBS analysts saying uh, that current A-share sentiment is overly pessimistic uh, and that market gains could gradually follow on from an economic recovery uh, in the second half of the year. Today we saw uh, healthcare stocks rebounding uh, slightly and energy stocks trading higher as well, but uh, continued losses among uh, real estate shares did outweigh many of those gains. Uh, today we had Greenland holdings falling one and a quarter percent, China Vanker lost one uh, percent. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around 1.8 uh, percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained uh, nearly four tenths of a percent. China's imports and exports expanded 0.4% combined in the first seven months of this year to surpass 23 trillion yuan, or roughly 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars. Exports grew 1.5% to more than 13.5 trillion yuan, while imports declined 1% to around 10 trillion. The proportion of uh, imports and exports in general trade is increasing, accounting for around 65% of the total foreign trade value. The value of imports and exports of private enterprises increased by 6.7% to over 12 trillion yuan. For more analysis on the trade numbers, Lily Liu spoke with Assistant Professor Wang Yaojing from Peking University. Ms. Wang, great to have you on the show again. Uh, could you highlight the uh, significant insights garnered from the foreign trade numbers for the first seven months of the year? So we are seeing a decrease in the overall trade numbers, but if we look at the categories closer, we can see that in terms of uh, type of trade, it is the processing trade that has been declining uh, in general and other types of trade has scored an increase compared to last year. Uh, this is showing a transition of our industry as we are seeing persistent interest rate hikes over the past year. And uh, also, like I mentioned, that China has been shifting from processing to a more complete production with a longer value chain inside of China. This is possibly why we are seeing an increase in general trade exports grown by 2.8% uh, and imports grown by 1.2% in the first seven months. And this type of trade could potentially be beneficial to more industries in China than processing trade. And also uh, with ASEAN and Europe uh, persisting as the two primary trade partners of China in terms of volume, and also considering the growth in trade with nations in mid-Asia and those partaking in the Belt and Road Initiative, how do you assess China's endeavors to expand the array of its trade destinations? The Chinese government has been actively making efforts to diversify trade def uh, destinations. This is essential in two ways. Uh, one is to expand our market to the majority of the population in the world. And there are a lot of potential in these emerging markets. And China is able to provide good quality goods with lower costs. And the other is to diversify risks from uh, international political frictions. And these efforts could potentially uh, both smooth out temporary fluctuations due to geopolitical risks and also be constructive to the long-term landscape of international trade. I was Assistant Professor Wang Yaojing from Peking University sharing her insights on the trade numbers from January to July this year. 
China's top political advisory bodies emphasize the necessity of implementing a range of strategies to ensure the stability of foreign trade in the upcoming months. Uh, these include expanding international flight options, ensuring the smooth operation of China-Europe freight trains, and harmonizing free trade zones and ports with globally recognized economic and trade regulations. The State Council has uh, issued guidelines that propose the advancement of pilot free trade zones in major cities like Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, the these zones are intended to align with international standards and counterparts. Official data shows that China's foreign exchange reserves rose for a second month in a row in July. Uh, at the end of the, uh, last month, the country's foreign exchange reserves came in at more than 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars, and that was up nearly 0.4% from the end of June. According to the State Administration of Foreign Exchange, the U.S. dollar index fell, and global financial asset prices generally rose in July, which together contributed to the expansion in China's foreign exchange reserves. Uh, Wen Bin's uh, chief economist with China Minsheng bank. With a series of policies to stabilize foreign trade and investment taking effect, trading goods will continue to play a fundamental role in stabilizing the balance of payments. Cross-border investment is expected to improve and the balance of payments will continue to be basically balanced which will support the scale of foreign exchange reserves. The administration says the country's long-term positive fundamentals have not changed, which is conducive to maintaining the basic stability of foreign exchange reserves. Guangzhou leads China's import and export numbers. In the first half of the year, the city in Guangdong province saw an 18% jump in export value and a 2.5% decline in imports. Uh, that makes the total trade value climb 8.8% to over 540 billion yuan, or roughly 75 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, the city was once a crucial hub along the ancient maritime Silk Road. Wang Tianyu visited the city to find out what trade was like back in ancient times. I've heard more than once that the city of Guangzhou is a vital point in China's ancient maritime Silk Road. The city once represented the starting point of the South China Sea Route, one of the two major routes in the maritime Silk Road. To see the city's maritime heritage myself, I flew to Guangzhou, and my first stop was the Huangpu Ancient Port. The old anchorage witnessed the prosperity of the ancient maritime Silk Road. If we were here just a few hundred years earlier, we would have seen many foreign merchant ships docked here. The Huangpu ancient port used to be one of the busiest ports in the world. Silk, ceramics, and tea were the main commodities for export, while spices and other treasures were brought in from overseas. The wooden houses from the olden days have now changed to skyscrapers, the physical labors have changed to robotic machines, and traded commodities along the road have changed to clothes, phones, and automobiles. The region where Guangzhou is the capital of, Guangdong province, has been the largest province for foreign trade in China for 37 years. Its total import and export value topped 1.25 trillion US dollars last year. And now, both Guangzhou City and Guangdong Province have played a pivotal role in the new century's Belt and Road Initiative. 
That was Wang Tianyu reporting. Official data shows that the export value of agricultural products in Yunnan province exceeded 6.8 billion yuan, or about 943 million U.S. dollars in the first half of the year. According to Kunming Customs, the figure ranked first in the country's western region. The export value of fresh-cut flowers and coffee beans both ranked tops in the country. The export value of fruits ranked third, vegetables were fourth nationwide. The Customs Authority say the export destinations are mainly ASEAN countries. The authorities also say they'll further improve export efficiency, such as setting up green passages for agricultural products and providing professional guidance for enterprises. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, a wrap-up of the World University Games in Chengdu. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio, We'll bring you the latest news, highlights, and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Action from the Chengdu World University Games has drawn to a close. On the final two days of competition, the Chinese badminton team bounced back from its team event loss to claim two singles and two doubles titles. Team China also won a historic women's water polo gold medal in Chengdu, which marks the country's first major international title in the event. Italy won the men's water polo title, the final gold medal on offer at the Games. The World University Games wrapped up after 12 days of intense contest with over 6,500 athletes participating. For more on the Chengdu Games, we are now going to Tianyu in Chengdu. Hello, Tianyu. There were still some highlights from the final two days of action. Tell us more about them. Yeah, it's finally the end of the campaign now, but the intensity of the games are still there. First of all, in water polo, the Chinese team has made a stunning finals appearance by beating a strong opponent, Team Italy 12-7. The female players of Team China have maintained their good momentum in previous matches, and scored their goal right at the start of the game in less than half a minute. And the blitz strategy continues to work with a 5-2 lead following the end of the first set. As the Italian players gradually got used to the quick tempo of the match, they began to play more physically and aggressively, but that couldn't stop the team China from extending its advantage. And they wrapped up the whole game with each side scoring a goal in the final set, and it's quite surprising to see that the Chinese team has been doing incredibly well in women's water polo games at this tournament. Also in swimming, star swimmer Zhang Yufei has drawn a perfect conclusion to her World University Games journey in Chengdu by clinching a total of nine gold medals for her team. She first gained a comfortable win in women's 50 meters freestyle final and broke the, broke the record of the tournament. But that was not the end. She then went on to team up with Liu Yaxing, Zhu Leiju, and Li Bingjie to compete in the 4 by 100 meters medley relay. The Chinese team was lagging behind Team Poland in the first half of the game, but it was Zhang Yufei who helped the team regain its lead, and the stable performance of Li Bingjie finally earned Team China the gold medal. And in the final game of the tournament, Team Italy managed to win a hard-fought final of men's water polo games by beating Hungary 13-11. Both teams have presented brilliant performance 
throughout the game, but it was Italy's that proved to be a better team in the end. Yang Guang. Oh, well, after nearly two weeks in Chengdu, what impressions have the Bolt University games left on you? Well, for me, it has been an incredible journey here in Chengdu. I think,、uh, first of all, we should give credit to the organizers for putting everything in order and making sure the games are being staged in a fair and safe manner. The courts where different kinds of sports matches were held are all magnificent. They're all clean and very professional. And also, the young volunteers have been a great highlight throughout throughout the campaign. They are like everywhere in the main media center, in the athletes' village, and the traffic hubs to offer speedy services to all the athletes, audiences, and travelers and media workers. And、uh, the other day, a video of the volunteers mopping the floor of the volleyball court in just a few seconds during the game. Went viral on social media, and many are giving their thumbs up to these young students for really showing the best part of the volunteer spirit. They have really showed hospitality of China to people from all over the world. And I think the host city Chengdu is also one of the biggest reasons behind the success of the tournament. It is a vibrant place where traditional Chinese culture converges with modern lifestyles. So yeah, the World University Games is not only、uh, offering an arena for professional sports. But also provides a great opportunity for the whole world to know more about China and boost their cultural exchanges. So a great journey here in Chengdu,、uh, Yangguang. All right, that was Tianyu and World University Games in Chengdu. Turning to the FIFA Women's World Cup, Colombia edged Jamaica one nil to reach the quarterfinals, where they will face European champion England. Catalina Usme scored a long goal from close range in the second half to lead the Colombian team to the World Cup last eight for the first time in team history. In Monday's action, co-hosts Australia welcomed captain Sam Kerr to the fray for the first time in the tournament as they beat Denmark two nil to reach the quarterfinals. Forwards Kathleen Ford and Kately、uh, Russell scored goals either side of halftime. Curl, who had been absent with the calf injury, came on as his 78th minute substitutes. She says she's proud of the whole team. I mean, I have the best teammates in the world. They're used to dealing with, I mean, I guess the ruckus that comes with, with me in the team. But yeah, it, that's the. Been the most difficult part is that the focus has kind of not been on them; it's been on my calf, and now we can kind of just settle that. And everyone knows I'm going to play. We can stop talking about it, and we can start talking about how amazing these girls are because they've absolutely smashed it the last few weeks. Australia has reached the last eight at three previous World Cups, but has never gone further. They next meet either France or Morocco. Paris Saint-Germain has signed 22-year-old Portuguese international striker Gonçalo Ramos from Benfica on a season-long loan deal. Ramos' arrival comes amid reports that Brazilian star Neymar has told PSG president Nasser Al-Khelaifi he wants to leave the club. Meanwhile, the summer's long contract standoff continues with the club's all-time leading goalscorer Kylian Mbappe, who is reportedly refusing to sign a year's extension to his contract, which ends next summer, amid speculation that he is determined to join Real Madrid. The French forward is not currently training with the first team as they prepare for the start of the league season this weekend. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, recently found artifacts on display at the Sanxingdui Museum in Sichuan Province. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world.
12.53 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, new discoveries from the ancient San Xingdui ruins in Sichuan are once again capturing the imagination of people around the world. A selection of recently uncovered artifacts is on display at the newly inaugurated San Xingdui Museum. With the Chengdu University also taking place in the region, the museum has become a major attraction for visitors. Young Jinghao has spoken to museum staff and visitors. Treasures embody the vivid imagination and masterful craftsmanship of the ancient Shu kingdom, which flourished some 3,000 years ago. Since its opening in 1997, the San Xingdui Museum has attracted tens of thousands of visitors, and the appeal has only intensified since the unveiling of its new facility. We offer a total of 15,000 tickets every day, and these are snapped up almost instantaneously after we release them online. Discovered in the late 1920s, the San Xingdui ruins have been lauded as one of the most important archaeological revelations of the 20th century. The new museum boasts a sprawling area, four times larger than its predecessor. The architecture is equally notable with its meticulous attention to detail. Look at this grand chandelier, characterized by its distinctive design. The ornamentations are derived from the fish and bird motifs, intricately carved on a gold scepter within the museum's collection. But it's the distinctive exhibits that truly set it apart. The new museum displays more than 1,500 relics made of pottery, bronze, jade, gold, and ivory. Some 600 items are making their debut, including about 300 unearthed in the latest archaeological excavation. One of the highlights among the new acquisitions is this bronze altar. Unearthed just last year, it comprises three distinct sections each depicting humans and beasts in different shapes. These artifacts are truly astonishing. Across the three exhibition halls, a diverse array of relics is on display, including pottery, gold masks, and some others. I can really feel the distinct cultures behind each of them. I'm very impressed by the big bronze mask with its protruding eyes, as well as the gold masks. The creatures, such as the dragons and snakes, also pique my curiosity as they differ so strikingly from what we are accustomed to. As the number of visitors keeps growing, the museum says it plans to increase its exhibition areas in future to help visitors learn more about the rich history and enjoy interactive experiences. That was Yang Jinghao on the new San Xingdui Museum in Sichuan province. Post-pandemic eras witnessed a remarkable resurgence in the domestic concert scene in China. Tickets are now a hot commodity in 2023. For example, a popular Chinese boy band, TF Boys, held a concert recently. And during pre-tickets or uh, pre-sales, uh, it was reported that around 5 million people competed for only 30,000 available tickets. Foreign artists have also been granted approvals for performances with U.S. singer Charlie Puth set to perform at the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Shanghai on October. 
October 31st. Government support in terms of concert infrastructure has also played a pivotal role. Uh, for instance, Shaman has introduced policies specifically targeting concert events. That's led to a 30% reduction in venue rental fees. Uh, similarly, uh, Shui Jurchan's concert in Hung Yang in July uh, was uh, complemented by three days of free public transportation provided by local authorities, which offered convenience to attendees and greatly boosted local tourism. Crime drama No More Bets premiered in Beijing ahead of its Tuesday release. The film starring Lei Zhang, Darren Wong, and Jean Chen tells a story of a computer programmer and his, uh, a female model who go overseas and get themselves involved in some kind of a fraud scheme. Uh, it reveals gang beatings and interrogative torture as well as gambling and get-rich-quick schemes. 58 past the hour. Beijing's at 24 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, we'll see a slight rainfall in 32 Celsius. Chongqing's at 27 this evening, then cloudy in 35. Last is down to 12, then a slight rain 24. Hong Kong's at 29 this evening. It'll be sunny tomorrow in 34. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 tonight, moderate rainfall and 29 degrees on Wednesday. Islamabad will see some rainfall in 26 this evening. The rain continues tomorrow with a high of 36. Uh, Bangkok's at 26 overnight, then a slight rain and 34 degrees on Wednesday. And in Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain and 25 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Heilongjiang province has issued alerts for flash flooding and geological disasters as heavy downpours continue in parts of northeast China. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.